Chapter 8 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Samson Speaks. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Jack's doings drowns out the Englishman, Floresco's first, Jack nearly gives an eye to the blind, repays the Teutonic Samaritan. During the month which the gang spent in the neighborhood of Mariposa, the most of them were idle, but two or three went off and performed little strokes of their plundering. The insatiable Jack Three Fingers had perpetrated half a dozen robberies accompanied with death-giving in several instances, all alone, when a species of attachment springing up between him and Texas Jack led to both of them undertaking the game together. One morning, as they strolled on the lookout, along the valley from which ran some feeders of the Merced, they heard the ringing of picks against stone, the grating of a spade through sand, and the scraping of a knife searching for threads of the precious metal in the rocks. Looking down from the top of the hill, whereon the two jacks were, they could see a dozen men working for dear life at the damp, drained bed of a little rivulet. They had put up a dam and caught the headwaters, which had formed quite a mass by this time, and, not knowing how soon the overflow would happen, were anything but loose in time. Come on down, said Jack. They ought to be making money, and we'll mark em if they are worth the whole of us making a call on. We daren't tackle them alone, eh? God, no. By the Lord, if they ain't every one of em some of the crowd who took poor Valenzuela, I know em muddy as they are. Back, back, I had a narrow enough escape, then. They'll recognize me, I'll warrant. Oh, my eye, rubbish, growled Jack, falling back under cover nevertheless. For the moment, the pair looked down, undreamt of, upon the workmen. The latter plied their instruments vigorously, their gasps of breath as they labored unweariedly, and the short exclamations of, Good bit this time, Ned. Lenda and, and airy to turn this stone over, bless me if an all our chunk ain't hunter hit, best bit yet by the bricks of Westminster boys, eve arf your scoopful hint in my bag, Hackney, that black sands I'll pay, art as hit his. Every now and then one or two of them would run up on the bank to the hut, one side of which had the planks removed to make the tom, lying like a stranded scow beside it and deposit there the gatherings. Garcia ground his teeth an instant, but then smiled. So they are the set who nailed their comrade, eh? Wonder how much they've made already. No little, I'll bet. Jack here, and the three-fingered Mexican whispered something to his friend, which made the latter nod approvingly, smile, and lift the cord of his powder horn over his head. Texas carried a rifle this morning and had a double supply of ammunition, at the same time, the other took off his neck scarf and folded it up into a kind of bag into which he tipped a quantity of the gunpowder, thus forming a rude car case, as they call it in military mining. I'll do it, said Garcia, for it came into my head first. You might have an eye to any who looks up. This was the scene. A kind of tunnel with the upper half removed, something like 200 feet long and varying in width from 30 at either end, to fifty feet in the width parts. In the center, very nearly, the new drain bed hard clay and gravel covered with rocks and a few stumps of trees embedded beyond possibility of movement. 
like a groove, unevenly broad by some ten to twelve feet, and from two yards to three deep. At the upper end of the little ravine, having a fall of twenty feet, the dammed-up torrent spread out and leaking gently on the other side to where the two bandits were plotting. This escaped water did not run into its natural course till having reached almost the other end of the valley, thus, though making the grass and ground wet, not at all interfering with the workmen. A little vegetation, which had escaped their hands in making the temporary embankment, and this line of earth itself, prevented the eyes of any of them below from perceiving three-fingered Jack, who, with the carcase in one hand, crawled over the moist, sticky, and yet slippery soil, towards the penned-in water's placid but so potent sheet, insensibly enlarging. Texas, rifle at the ready, peered through the barriers of cottonwood saplings, nearly choked by willows down upon the miners. The latter, in thus venturing to interfere with nature, had not done so very an imprudent an act as may appear. They had spent the whole of the previous day in fashioning the wall, and had let the night pass in the bed becoming dry, their guard being on the alert, to prevent anybody surprising them on seeing their idea and beating them off as might have happened in that lonely place. The breakwater, made for the time being, would have probably lasted all that day, especially with the side loss relieving its expanding prisoner, and they would make a new one on the morrow if the yield of metal was worth that. Texas reflected on all of this. Good thing for the John Bulls, said he approvingly. Baby Jack's gonna put a spoke in your wheel. Meanwhile, the Mexican had crept boldly out of the mud wall, and the splashing made by a couple of missteps had made Texas shudder, but not the foe look up. They had all their eyes on the ground, prying about for indications of that metal, which had lured them from the seacoast round Corbet, the caves on the Irish Sea, the inland village and the metropolis of millions. As far as him as he could did Garcia push the cloth bomb in among the mass of cut wood, brush, stones, and earth, he crept back as far as he could, supported himself on his one hand so as to spring up without delay, held out his other, in which was his revolver, and at the same time that he fired, he jumped up and back, turned in the very air, and made a prodigious leap. At the crack of the firearm, the laborers were not so enwrapped in the gold picking as not to be startled to look up that way. The horror they all felt prevented a sound issuing from them. If they had shouted altogether, no matter, for the dull boom would have drowned it as it did all other sounds. The explosion from being so confined above did not naturally do the damage concealed in that amount of powder, but was quite as powerful as the author had expected. Not only was the artificial mound split asunder, but the shock acted on the water in some peculiar way, or else the edge of the miniature precipice had been perforated by the element, for, being the cause which it might, a mass of yellowish granite split downwards and along into a slice like a curtain of a fortress, bearing a crown of mud and loose rocks on its top, leant over and fell into the bed. One of the miners was struck by the fragments and killed. Another was thrown off by his legs by the shock. The others thought to fly, but already the enraged, confined pond was rushing out in a heavy spout straight at them. All this in the smallest space of time. The two robbers, Garcia still panting, for to escape from exploding the mammoth cartridge, had seen a touch-and-go matter indeed, could only see the fountain playing its sidelong jet forward. A stream of mingled water, stones, stumps, dirt, first all the pure water next. 
The empty bed was half filled already with the released prisoner and rushing along to the opening of the valley with great speed, leaping all hindrances in preference to circling around them. In about ten minutes, the roar died away. The muddy cascade that had formed for a while a murky rainbow sunk into a paltry stream, pouring quite tranquilly through the opening, began by the powder enlarged by it. No pond above, but an area of ground plastered down by mud on which floundered a few reptiles. That's done for them all, by heavens and their saints, exclaimed Texas Jack, as he and his colleagues stood out on the edge of the chasm to look down. At the same time, Garcia gave him a vigorous pullback. Bang! went a large pistol in the hands of one of the miners, who had caught hold of some tree's root on the bank and pulled himself out of danger at the cost of a bucketful or so of spray of the filling of the boots with water. He had remembered the shot that had preceded the louder report and when on safe land had used his eyes more to discover the author of the evil than to look after his no doubt dead comrades. Hence, when the bandits above came into view, he had kept close, only hasting to reprime the large horse pistol which he had not lost from his girdle. Hit, Jack, queried Garcia, emptying two barrels at the man whom they missed from the distance. No, Jack, and you? I'm hunk. Of course I ain't hit if you're not. He could have had two scattering balls in. Meanwhile, the survivor had, after a hesitation as to whether he should try to enter the hut, turned to the hills and began climbing with all haste. On the instant, Garcia was rolling and jumping down the ascent like a big horn and running along the bank of the rivulet to get a good place to leap across. Texas Jack took steady aim with his gun. It cracked and spat fire, but the man, without a stop, continued his way. Missed, yelled Garcia, lifting his revolver. Hit, said Texas. Indeed, just as the fugitive's foot was pressed upon a jutting crag, he leaned backwards, though his head fell forward on his breast, half-turned, and completely losing his balance, pitched sideways downwards, shooting along like a limber plank. Garcia had jumped into the water and was at the spot where he fell. The wounded man said something indistinctly and died before the Mexican could pierce him with knife or shoot him. What did he say, asked Texas Jack, who had crossed and reached the place as his comrade stripped the corpse of its gold belt? Mary or Mary, I don't know, answered the robber, thrusting his three fingers into the divisions of the wash leather to feel the quality of the dust and grains. All I do know is that he came down the hill quicker than he went up. It couldn't have been Mary, for he was anything but... With my bullet in his backbone, said the Texan. What of it? Make haste till we clear out of the shanty. And the two ran to the cabin. They found themselves foiled. The miners had prudently buried what they had gained in previous exploiting beyond their ability to carry on their persons. And all that was in the hut was the gatherings of the morning, some few pieces of the cucumber seed sized being cleaned, but the rest being still in bits of stone and glittering in conglomerates of sand. Curse it, swore Garcia. We ought have known it. They took what they could quickly. The Texan proposed following the course of let loose streamlet to find the body swept before its first rush, but the other insisted on a return to the camp. Garcia, said Joaquin, at a private conversation with the man, have you noticed that new hand, Floresco? The milksop, who always speaks against bleeding a sheep after once fleeced it? Yes, Captain. Is he a traitor? I thought so. Shall I? And Jack touched his knife meaningly. No, no, there's the making of a daredevil in him, I fancy. But he must be red-handed. 
I don't suppose he has ever killed a man yet. Time he began, said Jack. There's a boy of 14 in Jackson who killed two men in a street fight last month. As you say, well, take a stroll. Let Floresco be one of them and make him settle a man. All right, if he don't, down he goes. Off went Jack, and by nightfall he and his trio, including the designated youth, were waiting, chewing the ends of their cigarettes impatiently, for passers along the road out of Mariposa. It was just a time when a few, and a very few, wayfarers might be expected. All at once a sound of several horses made their horses prick up their ears, and the masters start up. Three horse dealers were returning from the mines and had allied their forces for security as each carried the proceeds of sales about them. There you are, Floresco, go in, said Jack, giving his charge a push out of the hedge of scrub spruce. The young man resolutely planted himself in front of the three riders, displaying his pistol. Halt, no passing here till we men of the highway assay your dust. There was a moment of surprise and perhaps a little fear in the three, but one of them, the middle horseman, who recovered his coolness more quickly than his fellows, jerked a pistol out of his holster. Dry up and step aside, or I'll break your head, said he. At this juncture, a chorus of hoarse voices sang out in the bush. Joaquin is here. Down with your spitfire, you fools. Out jumped the three bandits. Drop your belts on the ground or you're dead meat, roared Garcia in a voice which was not his sweetest. They obeyed, except the center cavalier, who cocked his pistol. Now, Nopal Blossom, Floresco's nickname, leather up, cried Garcia. It's you or him. The young man saw the speaker's eyes blazing in the dusk like a firebrand blown upon. He nearly touched the man and fired. The victim, at the start of his horse, fell back and glided off the croup of a dead man. His pistol fell to the ground with him, but the cap had dropped off and the hammer struck the nipple without an explosion following. They show fight, eh? growled Garcia. Don't leave him a color of metal. So the three were completely despoiled and the robbers retired, well pleased at having gained so much coin as they did, and patting Floresco on the shoulder applaudingly all the way of the return. For three days the robber of the mutilated hand had been absent from the band, and fear had been excited about him, but no news of accident having arrived to him from justice was to be found in any of the surrounding settlements. When he did show himself after that time, he was dressed in new clothes, somewhat too large for him, and had his never very handsome fizz ornamented, for nothing could make it worse, with a dreadful black blood blister and bruise beside one of his eyes. This was the story which he told. He had wandered away from the peopled parts just in mere idleness, and camped in the wilds like the savage he was. In the nighttime, while sleeping with his provision bag as a pillow, Something, a stray coyote in all likelihood, had stolen it without his being aware of his loss. Enraged, he had started on the trail the first thing in the morning when he had found the tatters of the satchel, but everything it had contained to the very tobacco eaten or carried off. This had made him give up his stay in the solitude. Hungry with so much exercise and no breakfast, he had tried to bring down squirrels with pistol shots, but not one would let him get within range like the birds. In the afternoon, he had struck a trail of some animal of the deer kind, and he had followed it. As the sun went down, he had perceived small footprints running among the large hoof marks and had recognized them to be made by one or two wolves. The deer was probably wounded, for its steps were uneven, and in many cases it had tumbled over stones and vines instead of leaping them. This gave Jack hope. 
and he loped on as doggedly as the wolves. At the length, the track doubled and turned back on itself, and to the pursuer's surprise, a crash in the bushes to one side attracting him thither, he saw an antlered body stagger along blindly. He gave it one shot and was taking up the chase when a couple of growls behind him drew his attention that way. A pair of red wolves, tongue out and their paws all bleeding and dusty, had stopped on seeing this human barrier to the love of the chase and evinced their disapproval of his smoking revolver. You little cusses, said Jack, and he let the nearer one have a couple of shots, which made it roll over and over in the chinkapink bushes with broken leg and perforated head. To the man's surprise, the other did not scuffle off, tail between legs, as he had taken for granted. On the contrary, with a war, deep down in its slimy throat, it fearlessly flew at the bandit, who actually pushed it from him with his revolver, tug at it, at the same time as giving full play to its no less sharp claws. Down went the man on the sugar pine leaf carpet, and the two growled and fought, till Garcia, remembering himself, pushed the barrels of his revolver into the belly of the infuriated animal and kept pulling the trigger, for he had a new patent self-cocking arm, till the remaining loads were all exhausted in a twinkling. He actually had to hammer with the butt of the entangled teeth to get loose. Then he kicked the dead beast over towards its mate, which was howling in the bushes, and indulged in a paean, which was composed of the choicest curses in the English, Spanish, Indian, and mining vocabularies. Loading as he went, the Mexican took up the pursuit once more. From the extreme wildness of the animal's track, he conjectured that his last shot had seriously injured it. After a quarter of an hour's run, turning and twisting, a snorting and bleeding of pain in a thicket told him where that was the prey. He looked through the natural fence of saplings which had sprung up into place again after being bent down by the brute. An elk, larger than he had fancied it when he had seen it in motion, was standing on tremulous legs, and at each inflation flesh blood leaping out of a hole in its flecked skin. A few twigs dangled on its horns, one of the branches of which had lost its tip. The nostrils snuffed the air, but the eyes, though open, told the whole story of the poor beast's plundering pace. It was stone blind from some cause or other, perhaps age, for it was now weaker than a long run would have made it. While Jack looked, its joints gave way, and first settling down on its haunches, the head and breast upheld for a moment as proudly as of old, drooped over, and with a choking sob and a roll of the poor sightless orbs, the elk tumbled over on its side a rush of steam from its wide nostrils and no more sound. Save powder to drop so you do, muttered Jack, pushing into sort of a small clearing. He returned his revolver to his belt in exchange for his knife and advanced. A slight breathing was yet in the prostate mass, but the wound had clotted itself up and ceased to flow. Jack boldly grasped the upper branch of horns and bent down to draw his blade across the neck, which he tightened. His relish for leisure butchery was the cause of his mishap. As if galvanized, the supposed corpse was only too lively. The hooves struck out furiously and made the sticks and stones fly. The man, clinging to his hold, felt his arm nearly pulled from the socket and himself jerked upward as the elk staggered to its feet. Then Jack saw and felt things as in a dream. His revolver fell out of his belt. His knife left his hand, stuck somewhere in his head to which he clung. A series of plunges, tossings, kickings, and short runs terminating in sudden stops. 
a sensation of being pushed and of being driven into a mass of half-yielding thorny twigs, and he was senseless. When he came to consciousness, he could not tell how long afterwards. He was in a small, rude cabin, pervaded with the smell of cooking, and on a blanket on the earthen floor. Over one of his eyes was a large bandage, and on one arm was another. Hello, cried he, sitting up and looking around in amazement. What in the name of the devil is this? A man entered the hut while he was wandering, an undeniable German, and as undeniably a miner, for his dress and the earth upon it showed that. Aha! You be coming around, Hain, said he good-humoredly. It looks so, answered Jack. It looks so, yeah, you speaks truth, said the other laughing, as if it were a joke to the response. To the Mexican's questions, he replied in broken English that he was a native of Crescent Brockenburg, heaven knows exactly where, and he had come out for a fortune not yet found, added he with peasant's prudence, to the land of gold. More immediately, he had located himself here all alone and went out to seek a better place and some eatables in the way of feathered and hairy animals had chanced to strike the elk's trail. He had followed it for a time without observing the man's steps, and when he did, had kept on hoping to see a fellow being. He had entered the clearing where he beheld the carcass of the elk and a supposed dead man rammed into the bushes. He had shouldered the latter and a piece of the other, and that was the whole. He was too good a man to expiate on so simple and natural an act as thus relieving his brother man, as he called him. "'You're green,' said Jack, "'in these diggings, or you'd slice the man and march off with the game.' The Samaritan did not perceive the necessity of cruelty, and Jack did not try very hard to convince him. "'You has no tools,' remarked the other. "'Did you leap your landsman somewhere?' "'Me? Oh, I was prospecting when I cut after that plaguey deer,' Burn him, responded the Mexican. Burn him, ejaculated the other. I forgot it. And with that, he hurried to the cause of the odor that filled the one chamber, a huge joint of the elk being roasted on a flat stone, which formed the hearth. Enough that Jack displayed all the winning ways that he could muster and quite conquered the German, that the latter brought out a small cake of liquor and that the two went to bed, blankets, we mean similarly fuddled. The German dreamed, as a result of certain words that the Mexican had dropped, that Jack, his partner, guided him to a spot covered with bushes which had to be raked away with the mammoth deer's horns when a layer of unclayed, unalloyed gold blazed in his eyes that he returned to his birthplace with the long name, a man far more wealthy than the chief syndic, brought the title in the estate of the Count Baron of Hockenberg, Johannes Weissman Weissbaron, married the girl whom he had last seen knitting at her father's cottage door, and who had pricked him with a needle in the parting salute. The robber, on the other hand, awoke, instead of reveling in visions, as soon as he slept off the liquor's fumes, considered for a moment, rose noiselessly, felt about for the weapons which he had remarked to be placed in a certain shelf, and knifed, without a shade of remorse, the man who had saved his life. This done, still in the dark, he searched for the hut, flashed powder to find hiding places, and not poorly paid for his scrutiny, for the industry and steadiness of the Teuton had reaped its fruit for all of his inexperience. Thus laden with the spoils, as guiltily as acquired as could be, he came to the camp to be welcomed as the prodigal son would have been greeted by the spenders of his substance, had he broken his repentance and robbed his father after the feast for his return. End of chapter 8